Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Coming up on that time. Let's go ahead and pray. God, uh, thanks for giving us the Christmas season. Thank you for giving us holidays with families where we get time off, um, where we get time to just celebrate each other, and especially to celebrate your coming into the world, um, your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that as we look real quick just at the story of the shepherds and uh, the appearance of your angels to them and, and their response to that, I pray that we would um, be motivated by that just to have a similar response, God. I pray for every mind and every heart in here that it would be affected by your word and that your word would simply go out and accomplish what you want it to. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 21. Now this won't be an unfamiliar story for most of you. Anybody who's lived in America, anybody who's lived anywhere where we celebrate Christmas, you've heard this story. Um, we're going to be talking about the shepherds, the angels appearing to the shepherds, and the shepherds going to find Jesus. Um, if you've driven up and down any major city street, I'm sure you've seen shepherds in the nativity. I'm sure you've seen shepherds if you've attended a Christmas play, um, if you've watched a Christmas movie, if you've watched uh, It's Christmas Time, Charlie Brown, or any of the, uh, the Peanuts Gang Christmas movies. I'm sure you've seen the shepherds. I was a shepherd when I was in third grade in our Christmas play, so um, I got to hold a little stuffed sheep and everything. So, uh, The shepherds are kind of synonymous with Christmas, and, and anytime we're in the Christmas season, we, uh, we hear about them. But I don't think it's often that we'll actually go and kind of examine the story step by step and kind of see exactly what was happening, maybe what was going on in the hearts of the shepherds. These were real people, um, just like you and me are real people. This is a, a historical story. Um, so we'd like to look at it from that perspective. Luke 2, uh, verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius, Quirinius was the governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, the angel, there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. 
But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. First, let's start back at verse 8. We'll just go through this uh, step by step here. The first thing that kind of strikes me when reading this story is that it's about shepherds. And that's kind of stating the obvious. Um, but for us, it's kind of hard to see what a shepherd is because we don't, we don't see shepherds up in the hills here. We don't see shepherds usually leading sheep around. That's not anything that's really in our culture, in our area. So we kind of have to look at analogies and kind of who, who that would be like for us. See, the shepherd had a very dirty, nasty ugly job. This was the guy with dirt underneath his fingernails every day coming home from work. This was the guy who had to um, kind of get beneath himself and stoop down to care for these nasty animals, these dirty sheep all the time. So you can kind of think of that as um, a mechanic or um, somebody who, who just works manual labor, um, works really hard every day for their family, manual labor. You, you can think of a construction worker maybe. Um, someone who, who's out, maybe some of you are construction workers, you're out building buildings, putting in 12, 13, 14 hour days, um, and just, just getting real dirty and sweaty, and, and you come home and, and nobody wants to touch you until you get in the shower. Um, that's that's kind of the idea of the shepherd here, okay? So don't think of the shepherd as this glorified um, position, this glorified job. It was not. It, w- it was very dirty. Um, it was not glamorous. There was no air conditioning. This isn't a CEO job or an office job. Okay, this is this is this is someone who's out in the fields. Um, and, and what I love about this is that God could have sent the angels to anybody. God could have sent the angels to the king. God could have sent the angels to the the religious leaders. There were there were hundreds and and maybe thousands of priests and spiritual leaders and rabbis in every city around Israel that would have loved to have this appearing. They were waiting for the Messiah. There was lots of people that were waiting for this Messiah. And yet, God didn't choose those people. You would think that today, if Jesus were coming back and God wanted to send an angel, maybe to to prepare us or to to tell somebody that he's coming, you'd think maybe he would go to the the highest pastor or or somebody who pastors a church of 8,000 people or 9,000 people. But this would be like God, instead of going to that person, going to the mechanic or the construction worker or the person who, who just, just works really hard and gets really dirty, kind of the humble person. We're looking at the, lo- the lowly person. And I just love how our God goes to the humble before he goes to the proud. We see this theme throughout Scripture. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. See, God gave grace and favor, undeserved favor to the shepherds, because they were humble, because they were lowly in our world. Also, 1 Corinthians 1, starting at verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. You see, God chooses the weak. God chooses the lowly, God chooses the poor. For the most part, if you look at throughout the history of the Bible, it wasn't the kings, I'm, I'm sorry, throughout the history of the world, it wasn't the kings and it wasn't the priests and it wasn't you know, the, the popes that God 
generally showed his grace to and showed his favor upon. It's the lowly, the low class, the poor, the people who don't have anything else. And so when they find Jesus, he's such a great treasure to them. Verse 29 in that 1 Corinthians 1 passage makes clear why Jesus does this, why God does this. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God wants all the glory and God deserves all the glory and all the praise for his saving work and for his work and grace in our lives. So he chooses the poor and the lowly because they are going to give him grace because they have nothing to show for it. You see, if he chose the wise person, the philosopher, um, the king, they would be kind of prone to give themselves some glory for that. But instead, he chooses the lowly and the humble. The second thing that catches my attention is the reaction of the shepherds. Jump down to verse 9, going back to Luke 2. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. You see, the response to, to this glorious appearing is fear. And this is something that's, that's common in Scripture. Whenever the angels appear to someone, they always have to tell them, don't be afraid, um, don't worry, I'm not going to hurt you, because that, that, that glory is so manifest in those angels. Now, we've got to realize that this isn't even an appearing of God. This isn't even an appearing of Jesus. This is just his messengers, just the angels. And yet, even that glory, these angels who have been with God, even that glory is too much for people to look upon. Um, we could go to the book of Revelation. We could see when, when John sees an angel, and he tries to bow down and worship it, and the angel has to tell him, no, don't, you know, get, get up. I, I'm not the one to worship. Because we see that glory, and we're instantly just floored by that. Um, so we see that the response is fear. This is an appropriate fear. Throughout all history, we can look and see people who have seen manifestations of God's glory through his angels, and they're afraid. I just want to give you kind of a sense of that glory and that um, majesty maybe that was on display there. They were so bright and maybe so powerful looking. This, this one angel that came that they were just filled with this fear and this fright. And God himself is infinitely more glorious than that. So we kind of get a sense of how glorious and how beautiful and how majestic God is simply through this appearing of the angels. This is our God. This is the God that we serve. He's willing to humble himself down to our level. He, even though he has that much glory and that much power and beauty, he comes down to the lowliest class, to the shepherds. Um, and in the same way, God is kind of being a shepherd because just as the shepherd has to bend down to pick up these nasty, dirty sheep who keep wandering off in the wrong directions. God has to bend down. God comes down and chooses to come down and reveal himself to the lowliest, to the shepherds. As the well-worn 23rd Psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd. A few weeks ago, my brother came and he preached to you on uh, Philippians 2, if I'm not mistaken. And he talked to you about um, Jesus coming down and emptying himself of his glory to become man to take on flesh and to come in the form of a servant. That is the, the Christmas story in a nutshell, that Jesus came down. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but instead came down in the form of a servant, a humble servant for us. This is the Christmas story. And what I love about uh, Christianity, and I, I may have said this a, a couple of times in here, but is that it's real history. Okay, we're talking about God that actually intersected real time-space history. We can look throughout the recorded history and we can see a point at time that God came. Most religions, most belief systems, most philosophies, it was an old man on top of a mountain that had a lot of grand ideas. And he wrote them down and we're supposed to follow them. 
That's most religion right there, is that somebody had a, a bunch of good ideas. And it could have happened at any time, and there's no real intersection with human history. But Christianity, the story of Christmas, is that God actually came down physically. Didn't just have a bunch of commands, didn't have just a bunch of ideas for us to follow, not a bunch of rules, but instead he came down in love. I, I've, I've heard the analogy before that um, Jesus coming down to be like man is like us, like if I had to become a dog to warn all the dogs, you know, and if I had to, if I had to uh, stoop down to that level to become a dog. And I, I know that's just a, an illustration, just an allegory, but I, I don't think even that can show us how low God had to stoop. Because there's no gap as, as great as the gap between man and God. God is infinitely powerful, infinitely glorious, infinitely holy. So there's no way that we can ever draw a word picture because there's nothing like it. Nothing has ever happened like Christmas. Nothing has ever happened where you have an ultimate, an eternal, infinitely powerful God becoming finite man. It's just, there, there's nothing that's ever happened, so there's no words that we can use to describe it. The gap is infinite. Let's take a look at what the angel says in response to the shepherd's fear. Verse 10, fear not. The angel said to them, fear not. In stark contrast to that fear that the shepherds rightly felt, he commands them to fear not. And this sounds a little funny to us. This would be like if I'm standing there in this bright, um, just glorious, powerful being appeared in front of me and says, hey, don't be afraid. And it's, well, why, why wouldn't I be afraid? <laughs> you, could, you could hack my head off right now if you wanted to, and I'm supposed to not be afraid. It's, it, it's kind of out of place here. Um, I, would be, I would be freaking out. And, and it, it sounds absurd that the shepherd would say that, but he gives us our, his reasoning. Verse 10, why should we not fear? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The basis for the command to not fear anymore is the gospel, is the good news that Jesus Christ has come into the world. You see, the shepherd doesn't, the, the angels doesn't just say, fear not because I'm telling you. He says, fear not because a Savior is coming into the world. Why do we need, not need to fear anymore? Why do we not need to fear God? Why do we not need to fear death anymore? Because of Christmas. Because God came into the world. 1 Timothy 1.15 Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Because Jesus Christ entered the world, ultimately because he died, and ultimately because he rose again, we do not need to fear. Those who trust in him do not need to fear God, do not need to fear judgment. This comes in a few different ways, and I'm going to focus on, on three different things that we don't need to fear anymore. First, we don't need to fear God's judgment. John 5, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word, this is Jesus speaking, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. As a Christian, you will not be judged regarding your salvation. There is no judgment waiting for you as a Christian. As someone who has believed in Jesus Christ, you do not need to fear judgment. You see, so many religions, they try to work their way to God with good works, trying to make up for um, the, the bad things that they've done. And they constantly have to fear judgment, hoping that they are good enough. But if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, God has declared you righteous. 
on the basis of Christ's righteousness, and you don't need to fear judgment anymore. The judgment has already been passed upon Jesus. You don't need to fear. This is great news, and that's what, what the angel says. This is gr- good news of great joy. We should be joyful, extremely joyful, that no longer do we have to fear judgment. Jonathan Edwards preached these words as a call to believe in the gospel. And now you have an extraordinary opportunity, a day wherein Christ has thrown open the door of mercy and stands in calling and crying with a loud voice to poor sinners, a day wherein many are flocking to him and pressing into the kingdom of God. Many are daily coming from the east, west, north, and south, many that were very lately in the same miserable condition that you are in and are now in a happy state with their hearts filled with love to him who has loved them and washed them from their sins in his own blood and rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. I love that word picture that Jonathan Edwards paints. Jesus is standing at the door and has thrown that door of mercy wide open for all who would believe. Believe in Jesus Christ today and you will no longer need to fear God's judgment. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So first, we don't need to fear God's judgment. Second, we don't need to fear death. 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death no longer has dominion over the Christian. Okay, many of us have experienced the passing of loved ones, have experienced the passing of people that we know. um, And that hurts, and it's hard, and it's really difficult. But ultimately, we don't need to fear death because we know that those people who have passed on, who have left this world, and who have believed in Jesus Christ, are with him today. Because Jesus already conquered that death. So we don't need to fear death anymore. We have a certain hope of eternal life for Christians who have died. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul is writing to, to the church at Thessalonica, and they had started to worry about the people who died. You see, the early church had this mentality that Jesus was coming back within a few years of his leaving. They thought that he was going to come back by 60 AD or 70 AD or 80 AD. And so they thought that anybody who died, Jesus wasn't going to be able to save. You had to be alive. Jesus was going to come back and bring everybody who was alive, but those who had already died, they were kind of lost and done for. So you better hope that you don't die before Jesus comes back. They didn't realize that Christ's resurrection actually had victory over the grave, and the people who had already died would be resurrected. And here's Paul's words to them. 1 Thessalonians 5.13, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. If you ever attended a funeral of someone who was not a Christian, or maybe you saw, maybe you watched Michael Jackson's funeral on TV, here you have someone who is just extremely talented musically, who just had everything, and they spent a a million dollars on his funeral, and it's just hopeless without Jesus Christ. And that goes for anybody who has died without Jesus. You know the contrast there between someone who's believed and you have people who are grieving but who have hope and then you have people who have no hope of seeing this person again. Those who die with a hope in Christ have no need to fear death. And finally, we do not need to fear the world. Matthew 10, 28-30 Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. 
Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. The whole basis and the whole thrust and the whole motivation for evangelism and world missions, the the people that we read about that were ministering to these, these Muslims who don't know the gospel, the whole basis for those people is that they don't fear death. You see, if as Christians we had to fear death and we had to fear the world, we had to fear other people, we wouldn't be able to take the gospel to other nations because we'd be too afraid of being killed. We'd be too afraid of the people in the world that could bring us down or could hurt us. You see, but we don't need to fear the people in the world because Christ has already conquered the world. There should be a strong motivation for us to share the gospel. So we do not need to fear death. We do not need to fear God's judgment, and we do not need to fear the world. What is the result of all of this? What is the shepherd's response to the the words of the angels? Let's take a look. Go back to Luke 2, uh, verses 15 through 17. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. You see, the shepherds had such great faith in God and had such great faith in, in his message that was sent to them in his word. that they, It says they left with haste. I get the picture that they're standing there with their, their flock and they just take off running down, to, down the hill towards where God has told them to go. Um, the, sh- the sheep, to us, they're just animals. You know, we don't really care necessarily about sheep. Um, but to them, sheep were their, their lifeline. Sheep was their life. For them to leave the flock there would be like um, if you were at the mall and, and there was a, a jewelry store. And, and you see the guy just take off running and leave the doors wide open. And, and anybody can come in and, and take whatever jewelry they want. These guys leave their, their most prized possessions behind. Their very lifeblood, the sheep. And, and go running down the hill to see Jesus. I, I don't know if we have that kind of faith today. Would you have that kind of faith that if God calls you to leave everything that he had in order to follow Christ, in order to follow what he wants for you, that you would leave everything, your security, your life, your money, um, your luxury. Would you leave your stock options? Would you leave your 401k plan? Would you leave your, your, your luxury car? Would you leave your house? Would you leave everything that makes you feel safe and comfortable and warm in order to follow Jesus? Would you leave your, your big screen TVs in order to follow Jesus if he called you to? I, I'm reminded of when Simon Peter and Andrew were called to be disciples. Mark 1, 16 through 18. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. You see, they were so committed to Christ. They were so committed to his teachings that all he had to do was say the word and they were gone. They didn't have to say, well, let me just go get some things in order. Let me go finish this. Let me make sure that my, uh, my stock options are covered. Let me make sure my 401k is secured and then I'll go with you. They said, we'll go right now. They went immediately. Do you value Christ that much? Is Christ truly your treasure this morning? 
Matthew 13, 45 through 46. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. That merchant was searching for the best of the best. It says he was looking around for different pearls. He was looking around to trade different treasures. And when he found this one pearl of great value, he sold everything that he had for that one. This is like someone who's in search for truth. He's in search for the kingdom of heaven. And he finds Jesus. And he is willing to give up everything that he has in order to follow that. This Christmas season, in the midst of the materialism, in the midst of this assault of just buy, 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 and spend, 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 that you see on, on TV and on the billboards, and you just have all around you, we're just saturated with this materialistic ideas. Um, in the midst of all that, let's try to make Christ our treasure. Would we leave, ask yourself in your heart, would you leave everything to follow Jesus as the shepherds did? Let's just close with verse 20. Luke chapter 2. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. You see, the end result of all this, the end result of this glorious appearing of these angels, and the end result of the angels going to Bethlehem and seeing Jesus, the end result of all that is what? It's that God got glory. God got praise. God got honor. God received the glory and the praise for this. This is going to look different for each one of us as far as applying this to our lives. Um, I pray that you would let the Spirit work in your heart as far as what it means for you to honor Christ this Christmas. Um, it's going to look different for everybody. But just a few things to consider. Maybe spending more time with your family this Christmas. Maybe spending more time in the Word. Maybe spending more time in prayer and less time worrying about the material, worrying about shopping and worrying about uh, money, but instead focusing our hearts on God, on Jesus Christ. Amen. He came down to the shepherds. He came down to the humblest, lowest of the low. Because of that, because he has been so gracious to each one of us, let's return the favor by being thankful, by giving Him glory by praising Him for everything that He's done, just as the shepherds did. Let's go ahead and pray. God, um, thank You for the story. Thank You for giving us um, Your Word that tells us about a real event that happened, God, that happened in time-space history that's not a bunch of ideas written down, but instead, God, is, is You coming down into the world. Jesus Christ intersecting history, ultimately making possible his death and resurrection, is the only thing that prevents us from fearing you, is the only thing that lets us come to you with boldness. I pray that none of us would, none of us would let those words slip by us. None of, none of us would let those words go by without changing us. But instead, each one here would let their hearts be affected by the word. Everybody would go away praising you a little more and giving you a little more glory this morning. I pray that we would all treasure Christ in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen.